This is Let's Go Again, a philosophical and practical podcast for creatives navigating reality while building the dream. I'm your host, Courtney Romano, a writer-director in New York City and the founder of Queensbird Films. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about perfectionism and the edge effect. If you're like me, you scramble to edit any text you send within 0.01 seconds of sending it that has a misspelling of your and your or there and there. You cannot invite anyone to your house until every inch of it is gridworthy. You have so much work you've never produced or shared because, frankly, it could use another edit. It's not quite there. Or you get stressed out when you delegate a task to your partner like something banal like doing the dishes and they just do it all wrong. Or you become supremely overwhelmed when you go home for the holidays because you know you'll be juggling how to be there for everyone in the right ways at the right times in order to save Christmas or whatever it is that currently needs saving. And frankly, it's all becoming too much to keep up with. Not only this, you feel bad about it. You call yourself a recovering perfectionist, but you know in your heart of hearts There's been no recovery process. You're simply a perfectionist. Society has confirmed and you know that perfectionism is about control and being uptight and it's generally just wrong. But it doesn't feel wrong. And that's because it's not. That's what we're going to talk about today. But first, updates from this week and an offering for you. As I mentioned, I'm a writer-director, and I also founded Queensbird Films, an indie film production company. If you want to check out any of my work, you can watch my short film screen test about fitfluencers and my digital series, Kinsley Versus, about anxiety on YouTube. All of that is linked in the show notes. So you might be wondering, well, what comes next? And I have some great news for anyone who has been following along in these segments. I actually finished, finally finished my new feature draft. I cannot tell you how relieved my brain and my body is. It was like a a full release of tension that I had been carrying with me for like four weeks, five weeks straight. I also wish I could have summarized what happened for me to finish that draft, you know, as a sort of model or example, but it really wasn't as linear as that. I really just decided I wanted to throw out the playbook when it came to structure for this feature and instead just follow my intuition. So I got up one morning a little bit earlier. I always get up early, but I got up a little earlier than that. And thankfully, my children did not wake up early as sometimes they do. And I had about when all is said and done, I really could sit down for like an hour to write. And I wrote about 15-ish pages. And then later that day, finished five to 10 more pages. And, and thankfully I was still in the zone. It was kind of like I got myself into the pocket and I stayed there all day, even though I couldn't write in the middle of the day, I was just kind of feeling the story at a low hum all day, whether it was through music or something that I was reading or, or just things that I was looking at and contemplating in my, you know, everyday surroundings and keeping it at a low hum all day actually helped me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's very distracting. But in this instance, it was very helpful for me to just jump back into the flow that night, kind of like uh, like standing in a river that's rushing by and then just standing there, but then deciding, okay, let me go swim. So anyway, I put on uh, some miracle tones and wrote until I finished the draft. And I deleted a bunch of stuff I had written before and didn't need. And I 
then put it away. And then the next day, I started to TK it up as I read. So TK is the editing mark that means to come. So I'd write in TK, 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 and give myself a note about what the scene needed here and there. And this was actually a super effective way for me to see my script as a whole. I'm not sure how to explain this, but if I can zoom out and see the whole story at one time in my mind, then I know what's missing or what plot points haven't been earned yet and then you know what needs to be filled in for them to be earned or what themes and storylines need to be better refined. I have another feature I've been working on for a couple of years, and it is so expansive compared to other work that I've done or even this feature script that I can't quite see it as a whole yet. So this, working on this one has been really nice and encouraging to me that like, ah, yes, there is the path. Just take it one step at a time. So my next step for this next draft is I'm going to go through and mark up the script with the TK to come notes and then go back in and write, rewrite, delete, uh, probably add infinitum until I'm ready to share it with a friend or Craig or someone uh, for feedback. So I know last week I said, anybody, write five pages with me, be my friend. So was that you? How did you do with your five pages? Did you do it? Did it suck? Did you not do it? Did it feel amazing? Did you do 10 pages? DM me, tell me on social or email me or text me or leave me a voice message if you're listening to this on Spotify. And by the by, I would love to answer or get into conversation about any process questions that you have as you have them. Obviously, I'm a writer and filmmaker, but I think the creative process can be easily applied and adapted to anything. And if you are someone who has a bazillion ideas and you're just like, I need someone to just tell me what to do, even though you already know how to do it. um, I do have Capricorn in my second house, so I do love being an authority. when it comes to work. And um, I can help you come up with a to-do list. It is one of my favorite things to do is to give myself a to-do list and check it off. So leave me a, that, that is the most perfectionist thing I've ever heard in my life, or maybe type A or maybe both. But anyway, it just occurs to me that I am showing all my cards. Anyway, just leave me a voice message and tell me what you're working on and where you want to go and what you want to do. And I will probably simply reflect back to you what you're already telling me and uh, send it to you in a to-do list form for your next task. In my mind, we're all doing this work together all the time in a beautiful co-working art studio with like pour-over coffee and Basquiat on the walls and Mac Miller playing in the background. Ah, the dream. Okay, time for an offering. So today I'm going to pull two cards. One card will be a reflective guide about the situation, and one will be what's hidden and unknown about the situation. And a little note on pulling cards and why I even have this segment. I think intuition is the most powerful thing we can use to define our life. Not just our career, not just our artistic work, our life. I think it's connection to life source, energy, power. It can't be easily replicated by AI. Is not found in some weird blog post about the 10 steps to lead a happy life. My intuition will tell me something completely idiosyncratic and yours will tell you something completely idiosyncratic and both are right. And neither of them would work for anyone else. 
it's so bespoke. <laughs> Intuition is like truly the only thing we have going for us sometimes as creatives because we know it's an uphill battle. We know it just is. So, okay, fine, whatever it is, but we still want to thrive. We still want to be excited about our work and intuition has done that for me. So there are myriad ways to connect with your intuition. For me, one of those ways has been through tarot and other card decks. So this is how it works. You get into a meditative state or not, just kind of calm, and you hold a question in your mind and you pull a card. I'm shuffling right now, if you can hear it. Then your mind automatically comes up with an association. Some connection is made. That's your intuition. Your intuitive connection to the card will be based on you, your life, your circumstances, your lessons, your desires, and mine will be based on mine. One thing I would encourage when I pull the card or you do this at home, don't dismiss your intuition or try to make it more palatable. Let the first thing to come up just come up. You can think, oh, well, that's just my brain making those associations. And well, yeah. Yes, it is. So listen to yourself. You can trust yourself. And if you don't trust yourself, I've struggled with this in the past. One way to learn how to trust yourself is to strengthen the relationship that you have with your intuition. So, you know, just try it out. Don't edit yourself. Just allow the association or the connection to exist. Don't judge it. Anyway, okay, let's get into it, dear listener. So this poll that I'm doing is for you. I'm shuffling this deck. The deck is OK Tarot, the simple deck for everyone by Adam J. Hertz. And Craig got me this deck maybe for Mother's Day. It's very simple. It has in the guidebook, it only has like three, two or three um, kind of uh, answers, I guess you could say. When, when I read from the guidebook, it's usually a long passage, but this is like, here are three things. And it's very simple. And I think it's actually a great starter um, deck for anyone who's, you know, like mildly interested in jumping in, but I really like it. It's also just super cute. Okay. So the first card I'm pulling is for you, wherever you are now, whatever thing or situation project or moment you are looking for guidance on, that's what this is for right now. Shuffle, shuffle. And the card is the Two of Wands. The Two of Wands, the words associated in this guidebook are innovation, bold, ambiguity. Okay. And like I said, I am going to pull a second card. This one is from the bottom of the deck for a card that shows anything hidden or unknown or below the surface that we should be aware of. And that card is the King of Pentacles. And the guidebook says for King of Pentacles, wealth, secure, dominating. Okay, very interesting because obviously I know what I'm going to talk about today, but the words that are sticking out for me are innovation and security. And I think those can go in a lot of directions. I would just, you know, encourage you to think about what words stood out to to you and let that set the tone for today's episode all about perfectionism and the edge effect. My husband loves overgrown lawns. Every time we see an uncurated lawn, he points it out how beautiful the wildflowers are and how nature does what it does, growing wherever it wants to, and different plants are weaving in and out of each other, creating and destroying and generally having a blast. It's so satisfying. 
And yet, most of the lawns, in this country at least, are ordered and structured and maintained. And we have this social pact that everyone's going to keep it right and tight. No extra wildflowers, no overgrown sidewalks. Definitely cut your grass. We collectively decide everything should be ordered, manually maintained. And this is an emblem of being a good person, a good neighbor. We try to constrain nature and then we reward those who constrain nature best with handshakes and pats on the back and like, wow, look at that lawn. And no, I'm not going to write you up with the neighborhood association. You win the lawn game. When we collectively seek this perfection and order and constraint, we subliminally chide people into this perfection-seeking mode. But then we collectively get down on people for being perfectionists. A lot of people talk about being a recovering perfectionist. Recovering. Perfectionist. It's bad. So we want the benefits of perfectionism from the outside, but we shame others and ourselves for trying to be perfect. We might think of someone with an incredibly neat space or straight A's or perfect attendance record as a sort of perfectionist, but that's just one angle. A perfectionist might also be someone who's always looking for the perfect feeling, someone who will start something new and hop off of it as soon as it doesn't feel good. Or they might want to maintain relational peace, so they are constantly perfecting their responses in accordance with what they think others want to hear. This past summer, I came upon a book called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control by Catherine Morgan Schaeffler, and I bought four copies. After I bought one for me, I gave away three, and I recommended it to everyone I could tell. The premise that she offers in this book, which I offer now to you, is that your perfectionism isn't bad. It's not wrong, and it's not something to be fixed. It's something to be harnessed. So today, I want to share a few of the concepts in this book that have helped me to reframe both how I think about my perfectionism and also how to relate to my cutting edge. What I'm obsessed about in this book is the redefinition of perfectionism. Schaeffler says that like anything else, there is an adaptive form and a maladaptive form. So if you think about any habits you have taken from childhood as a coping mechanism or to survive being a little kid, which is implicitly difficult just to be a little kid in a big world, then you know that you have certain habits that work until they don't. For instance, you might be an extreme people pleaser because you had a hypercritical parent. And to be an extreme people pleaser in childhood is actually adaptive. It helps you, the child, have an easier time at home with your caregiver. It protects you. It keeps you safe. But as you get older and you have more control over your life and the caregiver has less control over your life, the same habit becomes maladaptive because you're no longer that little six-year-old who has no control. You are 36 and you make your own choices. So when you're people-pleasing now, it's not protecting you. It's not safe. It's actually a hindrance to living a fully expressed and powerful life. So the same thing is with perfectionism. There are adaptive ways of being a perfectionist and a maladaptive way of being a perfectionist. Schaeffler says this in the book, Perfectionism is a power, like any kind of power, love, wealth, beauty, intelligence, an inherent dichotomy of potential exists within it. Love can build relationships that are healthy and toxic. Wealth generates philanthropy and exploitation. Beauty inspires art and objectification. 
Intelligence eliminates communicable diseases through vaccines to save mass human life and builds atomic bombs to destroy mass human life. You need boundaries around any power, perfectionism included. So in the book, she goes through five different kinds of perfectionism. They are classic, intense, Parisian, messy, and procrastinating. And I, if you let me, I could really get into the weeds about each kind of perfectionist. But the crux of all of them is that perfectionism is an engine driving you towards something. You see how things could be. And it's not about achieving a day when everything is perfect. It's about becoming whole and complete, which usually means engaging with your work all the time on a consistent basis that allows you to grow. That is what being whole and complete really means. So like if this is perfectionism, 1000% sign me up. If you want to find out which kind of perfectionist you are and get a sort of glimpse into Schaeffler's framework, there is a quiz you can take on our website. I will link that in the show notes for you. And obviously, I will also link the book if I haven't already gifted it to you already (laughs) and you're listening to this podcast. But the major takeaway that I got from her book was that perfectionism is not some illness to fix. It has inherent power. And that society has kind of convinced us that perfectionism is a bad thing when it's actually a powerful thing. And being healthy about it, being adaptive with it, is about honoring, respecting, and using that power. Craig and I have a running joke that my hobby is working. (laughs) When people ask me what I do for fun, not like people aren't like going around asking me what I do for fun, but people have asked me that. And when they do, I usually say something like, oh, I don't do anything for fun because I guess I feel a little bit ashamed of myself because what I do for fun is like write and read and make things and like think about ideas, big concepts, think about how to implement them. And I feel bad because I'm like, oh shoot, right. I'm supposed to relax. But the thing that I've realized over the past few years is that in my work, I feel so connected to myself. When I write, or even when I come up with a marketing plan for a piece of art that I've made, or when I write my weekly email to my email list, I'm not working like, hi-ho, hi-ho. I'm working like I'm playing. I'm doing the same things I did as a kid, but like with maybe higher stakes. And it's fun for me to work. I get energy from it. It makes me feel good and satisfied and complete and whole. And this book helped me realize that that is not a bad thing. It made me realize that this instinct is not something shameful. It's something powerful if I can just reframe it and act with intention from an adaptive place instead of a maladaptive place. Schaeffler says, intentions are expressed not through what you do, but through how you do it. Not if you do it, but why you do it. Your intention is the energy and purpose behind your striving. Your goal is what you're striving for. So now, how do we use adaptive perfectionism to reach our cutting edge, maintain our edge, and otherwise stay edgy? Before I tell you about that, I have to tell you about Echotones. That sounded like an ad intro. (laughs) It's not an ad intro. It's literally what I'm going to tell you about. So Echotones... Echotones are a region of transition between two biological places. So an ocean and a beach 
you know, the sand and the ocean or, or the beach and the forest right off the coast or grasslands and deserts. The ecotone is the space of transition between these two environments. And in those ecotones, an ecological phenomenon happens called the edge effect. Now, the edge effect happens in the ecotone when the species and the flora and the fauna of those two environments come together to create even more biodiversity. It diversifies in such a way that the environment actually is able to withstand more uh, environmental pressure and it becomes completely innovative because it has more feeding it. What's most fascinating to me about this effect is that the ecotone actually becomes more stable. There's more security. Diversity, ecologically speaking, creates more stability. You can think of it in business terms too. This is why folks diversify their income streams. There's more stability when you're not reliant on one source of revenue, but seven sources of revenue. The same is true in ecology, and the same is true in psychology and groups of people. And I would venture to say the same is true for people like you and me internally. I think the edge effect of ecotones is an easily paralleled concept to finding our own edge. The edge effect for ourselves is the ability to go up to the line of our discomfort or our ability to access new information and learn new information and practice a new skill and then grow. The edge, our own cutting edge, you might say, is where we do our best work. The more inputs we put in, the more ideas we'll have. The more we read, the more we make, the more we collaborate, the more stable our careers become. We're always on the hunt for more money, and I get that. Rent is perpetually due. But I also don't think that more money will give us more of an edge. I do, however, think that having more of an edge can facilitate all sorts of resources, including but not limited to money. But it takes energy to create that edge, to live in that diversified field, to allow a lot of life to just come in and meet you where you are. Even it takes a lot of energy to be on the edge of your skills and abilities when you've been told that you're really good at something and then you go up to your edge, you are going to falter. You are not going to do everything perfectly. But the striving for that perfection is where the gold is. The striving for that perfection is actually what makes that environment more stable because you're bringing in more inputs. You're trying new things. You are living in that ecotone of your your past and your future. If our edge is the destination, our perfectionism is the vehicle, and we can use our perfectionism to move us to our cutting edge wherever we want the edge to be. Maybe that's in art, or maybe simply just in how we live. And this is exactly where life gets really fun. So here's our practical takeaway for today's episode. Let's game out how to find more of an edge. Like always, feel free to pause this and journal as you go or listen through once and go back and journal after listening or, you know, just think it through. So number one, list out all the areas in your life where you want to find your edge. So let's use the example 
uh, one of my examples, which is cooking. I want to be a better cook. Like I'm pretty good. I am pretty good, but I want to start experimenting with being more intuitive in my cooking and connecting with my Italian heritage more and not following recipes so closely. And, and I really want to understand how like the chemistry of ingredients more. So that could be one place or it could be, you know, something like getting your work out there or it could be a certain facet of your artwork. Wherever you want to find more edge in all of the areas of your life, list those out. Number two, in each of those areas, list what you already do well. So for cooking, maybe you're really good, I'm really good at one pesto recipe. This is me. I am great at this pesto recipe. But um, if you asked me to make any other kind of sauce, like, no, where's the recipe? Where's the book? Where's the blog post? I need to follow it to a T. The next list what you do not so well. I am not so clear on the chemistry of big picture cooking. Like, I know how to do small specific things well, but I'm not super clear on the general overarching concepts of why and how different foods go together or work together. Then once you have like all of these lists down for all of the areas where you want to, you know, grow your edge, build a mini syllabus for yourself. So decide what other environments or people or spaces or things you need to meet up with that could increase your edge. Remember, we're taking things outside of ourselves. We are diversifying ourselves and trying to bring things into our environment or take ourselves and put ourselves into a different environment in order to, you know, create this ecotone and this edge effect. So in my example, perhaps I want to add a new food to my grocery list to try or take a cooking class, or call someone in my family for advice on a recipe, or maybe I just need to watch the documentary Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat again. And then pick a few of those things that you've just written down for your syllabus and do them in the next month. Set a reminder to check back in in a month and and see if you've grown your edge and diversified your talent in that area. And probably you have. Probably just thinking about this, even if you don't put it into action, probably just thinking through this just now is going to show you some way that you could grow your edge or you could diversify your skills or you could kind of go after that ambitious goal that you have. And the key with this and how it relates back to perfectionism is that your perfectionism here can fuel you. Your perfectionism is about being whole, about being complete. Again, it's not about checking everything off your list and never having to do the work again. It is actually about doing the work, enjoying the work, enjoying the process of it all. So set an intention for yourself. And remember what Schaeffler said, it's not if you do it, but why you do it. Well, I could have kept going on that topic for ages, but we got to wrap this up. So that is officially all I've got for you today. I just wanted to quickly say thank you to everyone who has been texting or emailing or DMing me about the pod. Uh, One word of encouragement really, like truly gets me going for at least a week. So I just want you to know how much I appreciate you and that. 
And if you've also been enjoying this and you want to take it to the internet, one way to help the podcast grow is to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're on Spotify, remember there's always a poll for you to take and questions and answers uh, on there every week. They change per the episode. So don't miss that way to connect. And also, because you're a perfectionist like me and you have a million ideas, um, we made a little resource for you. So it's our trigger list to greenlight your next big project. If you're having trouble deciding which thing to work on next, this is a pretty little checklist that will help you decide. And the best news is it's totally free. You can grab that in the show notes. Thank you again for being here, my friends. I am having a lot of fun making this and I really hope you're having some fun too. It's fun to have fun. All right. See you next week.